Some of you know that I, uh, I plan my preaching schedule out about nine months in advance, and I love when December comes. So in July, when I'm planning the rest of the year, I get really excited about the December portion of our year and the calendar because I'm just going to talk about Jesus. And Jesus, I, I, I hope at Daylight Church you guys get the impression that Jesus is kind of a big deal around here. Uh, Jesus is my favorite, and I love talking about Jesus. Um, you know, about 2022, 24 years ago, give or take, this baby showed up on the scene and changed everything. In a, in a world where all across the globe people are trying to figure out who God is and what God's about and what are the rules and who are the gods and so forth, this one little baby just shined all the light necessary on that question about who God was and who God is. And, and what we teach around here is that Jesus is the representation of God as man. And so we, we think if you want to know what God looks like, the way to know that is to look at Jesus, look at the life and teachings of Jesus. And Jesus was a guy who showed up in a very pedantic, legalistic, kind of mean religious system and showed people who were outcast and lowly and, and lepers and poor people and, and the, the, the dredges of society and women in a culture where women were considered property. He, he, showed, he showed people that they had value. And he went around feeding people who were hungry and touching people who were sick and making them whole and teaching people that this pedantic legal system is not the system of God, that the, the kingdom of God is right here, right now, in you and through you and close to you. And basically saying, check it out, God is close by. In a system where for, for, year, for, for most of history, everybody thought God was way out there. Jesus was saying, no, you've had it all wrong. Here I am. I'm right here among you. I'm right here with you. And over the last several years, we've done this series called The Names of Jesus, because when you get into Scripture, you find Jesus described under a lot of different names. And so I'm going to briefly cover, I mean, very briefly, just talk about four of the names that we've already covered. One is Jesus the Word. And a lot of times in Christian circles, people call the Word of God, what's the first word that comes to mind when somebody says the Word of God? The Bible. And I think if, it's funny, if you study the Bible, that's not the impression you end up with, is that the Bible is the consummate word of God, but that Jesus was the consummate word of God, and that, that that's described and contained and revealed in Scripture. And so it, basically what that means, when we talk about the word of God, we're talking about God's voice in any situation, God's speaking into the world. And what we find is in Jesus, that was God's message to us, is God was saying, everybody's saying, where are you, God? Who are you? What are you like? And he's saying, here I am. I'm, I'm sending Jesus as my message to the world so that you will know what I look like. So Jesus was the word of God. Jesus was Emmanuel. Anybody know what that means? God with us. It means that God came down. God wasn't far off anymore. God wasn't distant and so vast that he was unreachable. But he was, he was the ultimate power in the universe that also happened to be right up against us and right next to us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. We describe Jesus as the light of the world, and I, I'm, I think we would all agree that light is extremely important. Um, if you've tried to stumble around in a dark room, you, you know how difficult that can be. And, and so what, what, what that is saying is that Jesus was the, the, the one that illuminates everything. You've got questions, he's got answers. You want to know what, it, what life is supposed to be like in this world? Jesus is the one that turns those lights on and reveals everything and lets, lets God's will be seen. And then finally... We talked about this little strange phrase called Wonder Genius. And there's a phrase, uh, there's actually a song, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And this Wonderful Counselor, we, we dissected those words and the etymology of those words. And what it came out to was kind of Wonder Genius. It's, it's wonder, it's like it being in reverence and awe. But the genius is your counselor that teaches you that reverence and awe. 
And so what we find in the wonder genius of Jesus is that the world is quite wonderful. There's a lot of wonderful stuff here, and it hints at a world that is much more wonderful than this world we live in currently. And he's the genius that will reveal that to us, that Jesus is the method. He's the spectacles that you put on to see the wonder in the world as it was meant to be seen. And so essentially what we're saying is Jesus is just fantastic. Jesus is just absolutely worthy of investment in, worthy of of surrendering your life to, worthy of giving yourself to, because there's nothing but good stuff there. It's all good. And what I want to talk about briefly, and I I mostly just want to get out of the way because somebody's going to join me up here in a minute that has some really important things to say today. But I want to talk about Jesus, our hope. And this comes from 1 Timothy. So Paul is one of the original uh, Jesus followers, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament uh, he, he would be considered one of the greatest teachers of all time. And he had this mentee. He was mentoring a guy named Timothy, and he wrote him this letter. And when he started his letter, this is how Paul started it. He said, I'm Paul. He's, he's introducing himself. It's like I would sign a letter and say HL and put a little comma at the bottom. He's putting it at the top. He's saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of our God, our Savior, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. And when we talk about hope, I like this picture because when I, when I think about the word hope, what I'm talking about is looking forward in a way that is positive. And you can, look forward, you can look forward in a thousand ways, but if you look forward in hope, it means you're expectant of great joy. And that's what Paul was saying when he was talking about Jesus, our hope. He says, it, it really doesn't matter how bad things are. It really doesn't matter how bad the mountains look in front of us, how rocky the road is, how deep the valley is, how, ba- how, how hard we've been on ourselves thus far. He says, there's reason to be excited. And that's what Jesus is. So when Jesus came and the shepherds came and the wise men came and, and everything changed, there was, there was, they called it good tidings of great joy. It means there's reason to look forward and be excited about life. And I know that doesn't come easy for everybody. I know being excited about life doesn't come easy. And I'm convinced that the way to transition your brain is through Jesus. I think Jesus comes in and builds and brings excitement. Last week, we had my good buddy Chad Everett come and share with us, and he did a great job. And some of you have texted me about how fired up you are after you had a different preacher, and I wanted to thank you for that. It was very encouraging. No, you, you, you've talked about how he fired you up, and I, he, he, he did a great job. But one of the things he said on our Saturday night event, so we had a Saturday night event at our house where just a handful of people came, and, and uh, he just kind of invested in our lives in the areas of leadership and personal development. And one of the things he said was, which I just, I had to write down and I had to share with you guys, is don't stay loyal to an old version of yourself. This, so you're looking at this path, you're looking at the rocks ahead, and, and there's, there's this, and I'll touch on this just very briefly in a second, but the easy path in life is just to keep going. It, it's, it's whoever you were yesterday is who you are today is who you will be tomorrow. The events of yesterday shape who you are today and will continue to shape who you will be tomorrow. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that's gone. That's done. You don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to be shaped and bound and held by those circumstances. And whatever the things are going in your life right now, they don't have to to stay the same. And you don't have to be loyal to that. Sometimes we we embrace our past as our absolute identity, and we're afraid to break away from it and become something completely new and completely changed. And I think the gospel of Jesus says that's not the reality. In in Colossians, it says this. It says, the mystery that was hidden for ages is now revealed. So everybody wanted to know where God was, and now you can see it. Now you can see what God is like. It says, it's now revealed. God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is where it stands, is that Jesus wants to get in you. 
Jesus wants to shape you and make you and mold you. And you can't, you can't embrace that and be loyal to what you were. It's going to revolutionize everything. Just like he revolutionized the world, he'll revolutionize your life. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The gospel of Jesus is, always has been and always will be a gospel of long-term transformation. It's that you, you can't stay the same. You can't be who you were yesterday. You can't hold on to the pains of yesterday. A lot of what Jesus had to t- talk about, even when Jesus went out and taught to the masses, what was the one word that always kicked off his sermons? Anybody know? Well, a lot of his, a lot of his parables or stories he did, but when he kicked off his sermons, a lot of times he would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says when he started his ministry, that was his basic message. And that repent means, anybody know? To turn, to turn away. So essentially, what it comes down to is that Jesus was saying, I'm here, the kingdom of God is near, turn away from what was. Don't be what was. Look forward with hope to something new. And Chad said this last week. He said, if your past is one of pain and you view the future through that lens, you will falter and stagnate because you will see pain ahead. If it's been painful thus far and you are convinced that that's what life is like, you're going you're gonna to falter. You're not going to push forward. But if you can see the hope of Jesus, you can see the hope of a new day, you can see the hope of transformation, you're going to move forward with your head held high. It's going to change everything. So just a couple points before I, I call up the person that's sharing with us today is you've got to realize that that path you've been, that ain't all. That's, that's not the end of the story. And you can keep walking that path, and it will one day be the end of the story, but you're not there today. You can change. Whatever it is that holds you back or, or, or keeps you from experiencing that joy of God, it doesn't have to be forever. And it means getting off the path. So it's, it's hard. It, mean, it means looking at who you are today. And I think this is something every Christian should do all the time. It means looking at who you are today and saying, what choices do I need to make to move off to a better path? What, what, where is this path leading me that doesn't end well? And changing direction. And then I've got this, I've had this image in my mind all week of a room. I want to say this room ain't all, which means, so the past isn't your path forward. It, doesn't, it, might, it might determine the initial trajectory, but you're allowed, to, you're allowed to change directions in life. And I want to say the present isn't all there is either. Who you are today. So I imagine the person in this room that's dark, and maybe, maybe there's curtains and there's a little bit of light filtering in, but it feels dark. If you've, here, here's a travel tip that's just completely unrelated. When you're in a hotel room, have you ever had those, the, the curtains that won't close completely and there's a bright light outside and it drives you insane? Well, there's also hangers in the closet with clips on them. You see, you're going to learn all kinds of things here. So go get one of those hangers, use those clips, close the curtains, boom, dark night, good night's sleep. Thank you very much. So, but I see a person in a room that it's all dark, there's a little light filtering through, but they think that's all there is. And all they've got, there's, there's only one thing required, and that's just to open the curtains. And there's all this light outside waiting to come in. But if, you, if, you, if you're convinced that this room is all there is, there's no reason to do such a thing. Who you are today is not who you have to be tomorrow. Everything can change where Jesus is concerned. In Ephesians, it says this. It says, this is not the way you heard about Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So any of these words might describe you. 
to an extent, I think all of us can look at this and find ourselves in almost every word up there to some extent. I'm fearful. I'm not, I'm not paranoid. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm consumed by fear, but there's no question there's fear in my life. I'm lonely. I'm in a family of six living in a household full of people, and I still ex- experience loneliness, wondering, does anybody still love me? Does anybody really care about me? Do I have value? Am I worthless? Do I have value? Am I good at what I do? I think, I think you can probably abandon fearful mean. I'm mean sometimes. I'm bitter sometimes. I think probably everybody can look at this list and say, that describes me in some way, shape, or form. And what this hope topic means is that it doesn't have to stay that way. It means if I'm bitter, I don't have to stay bitter. If I feel worthless, I can look at Scripture and find out that God has, has endowed in me inestimable worth, that I am worth something. If I'm mean, God can make me kind. If I'm lonely, Scripture says God puts the lonely in families. Every single thing up here you can, you can encounter in Scripture, and it says God wants, it's the great reverse. It says what was, when you're weak, that's when he is strong, and so forth. The gospel is a gospel that says you don't stay in these categories anymore. Now, it doesn't mean that you're instantly going to get rid of every mean bone in your body or every trace of bitterness. That's why I said it's a long-term transformation. But when Jesus, the hope is all this can change. I move forward with him, and stuff changes. I saw this quote recently and wanted to share it with you. It says, when Christ is in you, you have been possessed by the one who could not be beaten. Death couldn't take him and sin couldn't own him. The authorities had no power where he was concerned and there was no weight placed upon his shoulders that he couldn't throw off. Now, if we move forward in our own strength, thinking we can change everything, I can work on the bitterness in my heart, I can work on my meanness, and we think that we have the power to do that, you have... You have the ability to shape and change some things. The problem is that a lot of times that is coupled with like self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, which is just equally as damning as meanness or bitterness. It's like, it's like we're, we, we exist in this crazy place that I've talked about several times now where there's no real perfect place forward as human beings. We are just weak. We are just kind of incapable of becoming like God. But what this says and what the passage before it says is that Christ wants to come in you. Christ wants to come bring transformation. Christ wants to do these works in you. And that's an external source that isn't relying on self-sufficiency. It isn't isn't selfishly motivated at all. It can be a totally laying down of your life. In in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. It says, "In In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. There's a lot of passages in Scripture that we don't want to bank on the promises. There's, you know, we, we have these little plaques that we put on our bumper stickers or on little rocks that we put in our window or whatever that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or whatever the particular passage of the day is. And we don't ever put up passages that say, I will suffer. Like, we, nobody puts that on a bumper sticker and says, I'm claiming the gifts of God, I will suffer. But what this is saying is that all of us are going to go through a tough life. All of us are going to walk through those mountains that you saw in that picture about hope. And it's, there's going to be some stuff to climb. It's going to be difficult. But it says, no matter what you suffer, after you've suffered a little while, this life is a breath. It's gone. It's over. It's done. It's fast. It's lightning. That's the hard part. And it's over. And it says, after that, it says, and during that process even, I believe it's kingdom come now, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So what we're talking about today is the fact that life can be a little bit difficult or extremely difficult. 
But God, who has revealed himself through the word, through Emmanuel, God with us, through the wonder genius, has shown us that's not where you end up. That's not the end game. That's not the only room you're ever going to be in. It's not the only path you're ever going to walk. And I have a guest with me today that I think embodies this idea really well. I'm going to invite Jessica to come up. Joey, would you grab our chairs for us? And Jessica shared her story in front of about 400 Peruvian college students when we were on our mission trip to Peru this summer. And not only did she do a little crying during the story, but a lot of other people did. And they, they lined up literally for an hour or so just to talk to Jessica about her story afterwards. And Jessica, uh, understandably, is a little nervous today. Um, this is a story she hasn't shared. So in Peru, was kind of the first time you ever just publicly yeah. said your story. Yeah. Um, and so it's a difficult story. It's difficult to hear. Uh, I'm sure because of that, it's, it's difficult to share. But I'm just going to ask her to share her story with you, and then we may have a bit of a dialogue afterwards. So, Jessica, the, the floor is yours. Okay. So I grew up in a Pentecostal household. Um, my uncle was a pastor. I had that very much ingrained in me. Um, very young, so I could, you know, I walk the walk, talk the talk, but I personally did not believe it because I was raped for the first time when I was three years old, and that continued until I was 11 when my father committed suicide. So I had, I struggled a lot with who God was and I felt like God didn't love me and that I wasn't good enough to be, to be God's child. So um, when my father committed suicide, I became very numb and just kind of dead inside and unfeeling. So I began to um, self-harm. I was a cutter. And um, that progresses the same way a, um, a drug addiction does. It, it gets worse as it goes on. Um, and for me, it got very bad, and it got to the point where I had made plans I was gonna slit my wrist. And um, a friend found me, I guess, before I was able to do that. And I ended up in, a, um, in an intensive outpatient program. And um, I had to go through that. And eventually, it got to the point where um, I wasn't allowed to be alone during that time. And to get out of the program, I had to go to counseling and deal with things I didn't want to deal with. And um, I remember in one of those sessions, I told the counselor, I said, I feel like I'm in the ocean. And the waves are just crashing all around. And I can't, I can't get to the top. I can't breathe. And I'm just drowning in that. And her advice to me, she was a Christian, and she said, just read your Bible. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So, but then I went home that night, and I sat down in my bedroom floor, and I opened my Bible, and I put it in my lap. And I happened to turn to a, a scripture in Psalms. And in that scripture, it says, though the earth, though the waves crash and the earth rumbles and the mountains tumble into the sea, God is with you, and God is still. And it was like something just said to me, just be still. And I felt like that was God saying to me, just let it go. 
And I think that was the first time that I actually laid everything down and was just like, God, it's yours. Just take it. So what, what has it been like since then? What, how, how has that changed the path? So we're talking about a path and Jesus kind of being the hope ahead of you. How, how has that altered the course or, or changed who you were or where you were headed? So the Bible talks about God's a firm foundation. And I think that was the beginning of my foundation. That was the beginning of the journey changing from, I had been in this place of just pain and anguish and just, I didn't know how to deal with what had happened. And I think I finally got to a point where God said, you don't have to deal with that. You let me deal with that. And I think that's where he really took that from me and began turning me into a place that I don't have to be, I don't have to let that define me. Um, the, the abuse I suffered is part of me, but it doesn't define me. Christ defines me. And that was a place I had to get to. You know, one of the reasons we ask people to get up and share their stories is because stories relate to people. And statistically, in the room right now, there's people that have endured times similar to, to your own. Um, and was, so I, I loved what you said about how that, how your past was still a part of you, but it doesn't have to define you. Right. And you, because of what you've been through, it, Jesus, Jesus is very much in the redemption business. And I, I believe Jesus wept over this whole situation. Uh, if you hold a theology that says God is so sovereign that he manipulates every situation, you got to face situations like this. You have, you have to bring that into your theology. As if God is micromanaging the universe, then God caused this. And that's, that's a nasty, mean God. Uh, but ultimately, I, I don't believe that. I believe God was revealed in Jesus, and Jesus came and said, I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to bring light into darkness. I'm going to open the curtains in the dark room. And so it's an ugly thing that was there. And you even mentioned that, that a lot of your family hasn't even heard this today. So, so you said you were right. quite nervous about sharing. And right. So... Well done. Uh, you're very brave. But you can say things to people that I can't because of your history, because of your right. background. You can minister to people in ways that I, you, you can have compassion and empathy towards people that, that I couldn't generate because I haven't been there. I haven't walked in those shoes. Right. What would you say? So, so say somebody's here or some, we have a lot of people that listen to our podcast, listen to or, or watch our video cast. There's going to be people that have been through similar situations like yours and maybe the lights haven't turned on. Right. Maybe, maybe they're still, and, and it's not to say it doesn't affect you, but they're still completely consumed. What would you say to those people? The first thing I would say, the, the first thing that someone needs to get in them is it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't want to say it's not God's fault, mm -hmm. but God did not cause it. Right. It's the same thing you were saying. I think that was a place I was in at the beginning was God allowed this to happen. And I, I, I don't feel that that's true. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's free will and that that's a heavy thing. But that would be the first thing. The second thing is God is your strength and your foundation and you're never alone. And no matter what, he's always there for you. And there's other people that are there for you too. Um, but he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he, he will get you through it. How, how does he get you through it? What are, what are some, like, 
Talk about what, what's happened in your life. How, how has God made a difference? So, for me, it's just been, he takes that burden. I mean, it's, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And I did not know how to deal with it. That's why I turned to self-harm, because I just wanted to feel something. And when I finally brought God into my life and turned everything over to him, I, turned, I stopped feeling that pain, and I started feeling a joy. Mm-hmm. And that was just a big thing. It's, everybody deals with it differently. And it's just, you have to get to that point where you can lay it down and God can take it. And I, God has to do that. None of us can do that on our own. So. We were in Peru together on a mission trip. There were about six or eight or more that went with us. And the interesting thing about Lima, Peru, is it is the endless city. I mean, you get in a car and you drive and you drive and you drive and you drive and you're still not even halfway across the city. I mean, it just sprawls forever. And so we got to all spend quite a bit of time together in, in a very small little car uh, stuff together. And I, I can say without question that Jessica carries a joy that a lot of people don't have. I think you have a, a strong career ahead of you in, with the pan flute. I just think that's, <laughs> that's really part of who you are. Um, but she has a joy about hey, her. Jude. And And you wouldn't, having gotten to know her, you, you wouldn't suspect that there was this sinister thing that happened that weighs her down. And, and it's not to, not to say that life isn't challenging for Jessica. I'm sure it is. But just being around her a little bit, you, you get this sense that, especially once you know her story, you get this sense that something amazing has happened. And I'm just so thankful for you. I thank you for sharing your story with us today. And uh, I've got one more, one more passage I want to throw up on the screen. And, uh, oh, this, I was supposed to have this up here saying you were a cool folk. I'm sorry I didn't. Oh, you are really I'm cool. I'm not that cool. No, you are. Really <laughs> like those sunglasses, you would look very good in them. Oh. Um, so this is out of Ephesians 1, and I'm starting to get, get turned on to this at our church, is that it's really neat to read stuff together. And if, if you're not cool with that, then just keep your mouth shut and be a Christmas Scrooge. I don't care. But um, we're going to read this together, and if you guys wouldn't mind joining me, we'll start at the beginning. Here we go. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. Hey, good job when I did a lousy job reading that. You guys did well. It's, I, I was reading this week about how there's several times in Scripture where, where Paul prays for uh, his friends or his, the people he's mentoring uh, or the church and so forth. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. Even though a lot of these people were sometimes being burned at the stake, lit, literally burned alive or, or drawn and quartered between horses or skinned alive or dragged behind horses until they were dead. And these were the people that Paul was writing to. The interesting thing is you don't see Paul asking God. When, when Paul says, I'm praying for you, he's not praying to change their circumstances. He's not praying saying, I'm hoping that you will no longer be drawn and quartered, which seems like kind of an obvious prayer as a pastor. I'm hoping, Lacey, I hope you're never drawn and quartered, right? I'm going to pray. If you're going to be, I'm going to pray you don't. But that's not what you see in Paul. 
This is what he's praying for. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Up further, up earlier, he says, I keep asking, so he's praying here. He says, I keep asking God, the glorious Father, that he will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And this is what you see Paul pray for people consistently. It's, it's not that life won't be hard. It's not that there won't be mountains ahead. And I think it's, it's fine to pray about those things. I'm not saying don't pray about those things. I'm not saying in a, a person in your circumstances that somebody ought, shouldn't be praying that you get out of those circumstances. Right. But I'm saying there's something higher. There's something higher than anything circumstantial in your life. What, whether it's addiction or loneliness or bitterness or meanness or whatever it is, there's something higher. And it's this revelation of knowledge. It's, it's, it's knowing God. Knowing him. And I think, I think, Jessica, you would attest that somehow knowing God and connecting with Jesus has been uh, pivotal in, oh, yeah. in, your, in, in you having joy and not cutting anymore and, and having life. Can you, can you talk about that for a second, just knowing God? Yeah, I mean, if, if, what, if I had not had that moment in my bedroom, I don't know that I would be sitting here today. Mm -hmm. If I had not had that moment, it's untelling. Um, but that, that was a pivotal point in, in my recovery, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 just, it just was. Yeah. <laughs> Would you be willing to pray for us as a congregation? Just, just whatever you want to pray, whatever feels comfortable. Yeah. Would you do that for us? Yeah. Thanks. All right. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I thank you for the, everything that you've done for me, Lord. I ask that you touch every person in this room. If there be anyone in this room who is dealing with a past of abuse or dealing with it currently um, or anything that is a hindrance to their path to you, is a hindrance to their hope or that is sucking out their joy or that is just making them unhappy, then I ask that you give them the strength to give that over to you, Lord that you reveal yourself to them as the way that that you can take away that pain and that you can turn it around and use it for something that you're that'll be pleasing to you and I thank you for everything you've done in my life and that you'll do in everyone here and we just love you and praise you and we ask these things in your name amen